exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God. This is The Cumberland Road. I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. Today's guest is Reverend Jason Michael, a second career minister, a PhD student with an emphasis in communication and rhetoric, and the founder of the Nashville Burrito Ministry. Jason shares in our conversation a profound and transformative experience as a seminary student that is shaping his faith and his faith journey. We talk about the overlap and the differences of guilt, shame, and humility, and how the gospel is an offering to examine the type of creation we can become. You are listening to the Cumberland Road Podcast, and here is my conversation with Jason Michael. Uh, Jason Michael, thank you for joining me on the podcast. With TJ Malinowski, the coolest dude in the room. It is good to see you, man. <laughs> We're in two rooms on yeah. one screen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you were telling me before uh, we were recording that you're back in school. So what are you studying? And what is it like to be back in school later in life? I am uh, studying how to get a heart attack. It is absolutely the biggest mistake I could have possibly made. I do not take too much offense to later in life because it's true, but um, I am at the University of Memphis doing comm and rhetoric, communication and rhetoric. Um, I had thought about it for years. Um, the Reverend Dr. Andre Johnson, who has been at the seminary when I was, was, was at the seminary when I was there, uh, is over at the doing rhetoric, race and religion uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, so I, when the pandemic hit and I was bored sitting in the house and they took the GRE requirements off of the PhD program, I was like, wow, maybe I could do this after all. <laughs> I had no idea what communication was when I walked in the door. I don't have a degree in that beforehand. And uh, I tell people all the time, it was a top 10 school for communication and rhetoric until I got there and their lack of judgment dropped that number. So for allowing me in but it's been amazing I, I i think there are two uh sacred places in this world one of them is in the church in the sanctuary and in, in sanctuary and worship i just believe that there is a holy ground moment that can happen there and i believe the same about the classroom there is something about having the mind pushed and open that uh just thrills me and to be able to study communication how we make meanings how we exist in this world together by how we speak to one another and talk about things and think about things and identify things has been uh has been amazing the people i go to school with uh, are many times much younger and their brains are much faster and so i just sit there and listen at these brilliant people and then steal their ideas and try to slide them in a sermon somewhere to make somebody else impressed <laughs> <laughs> well how does communication and rhetoric roll over and blend in with the community of faith? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And, and that's one of the reasons that, that I did get involved in the program is it, one, of, one of the things about communication is it's not only how we speak to one another, it's how we define things, how we think through what something is, how something is explained, has been explained to us and how we take meaning from 
all of these discourses that exist in the world. Um, so when we take that into the pulpit, one of the things that has become really important to me is stripping away the things maybe that have just been there as attached to me that I didn't even recognize were parts of my identity. Um, and that takes some introspection and some thought, and, and it can cause you to have to step out of the box that you've existed in um, and have to listen to somebody else before you listen to yourself. That's part of communication. How do I hear someone say something when I know that it's bouncing off of everything that I am before it ever gets to me? So, so stripping away those things in, in Bible study, in sermon, in our relationships as we talk with one another in the church uh, allows for me a, an ability as a faith leader to maybe investigate those connections more than I would have otherwise, because I'm now reading billions of pages of paper to try to explain that process to me. Um, and so I think that's important as I, as I teach. Uh, you know, I, I realize that I am not here now to change anybody. Let's speak truths out in the world. Speak not even truth. Speak these um, conceptions of the world that we see, and and how can we allow one another to be able to see something that we didn't see before, um, and allow one another that. To me, that decentering of how do we define ourselves and identify ourselves and communicate. To me, that is the essence of loving neighbor as much as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I like to use the word value. I think valuing your neighbor as much as you value yourself, it can give you another way of looking at that. Maybe there's other words that people can come up with. I, love has been screwed up by Hallmark. So, um, but how do, I, how do I make sure that you are as valuable and as respected and as taken into um, your opinion matters and your experience matters as much as my own? And that's what's allowed that that connection between calm and the sanctuary, the community of faith is where I really find so much benefit to what I'm being taught. Yeah. In your mind, Jason, what do you think that the community of faith is communicating really well to the world? OK, well, <laughs> see, those are one of those questions, man, that get you in trouble. Because we can communicate things very well that aren't true and that aren't right about the church. Uh, I think right now we're communicating very well how divided we are and how we don't um, spend enough time in um, discernment of what it means to be a community of faith. Uh, we, we're, we, we talk about how you know, the faith is so important uh, and, and incredible in our lives, and we are the least uh, biblically literate people in existence um, ever lived. We are the least biblically literate. Um, so what we're communicating is to me, and I'm and my church is perfect. Your church is perfect. Everybody listens. Church is perfect. I'm talking about all the other Christians in this world. <laughs> um, we're communicating. I think sometimes that we want to identify as this Christian thing that, that is attached to so much else. That's not Christian. And we're communicating that very well, which is one of the reasons I'd argue that the church is on decline. Now, you turn around the other side of that coin and you get involved in the church and you get involved in our churches. Everybody listening, yours and mine. But mine, I promise you, you get involved in the church and you find people that you don't agree with, that, that 
are so polar opposite in some ways. And you best bet the first time your wife goes in the hospital, they're going to be the ones there with the biggest dinner that you ever wanted. Right. And they're going to show love and they go out and they give to the poor and they do all these things that you never even recognized. Right. So I do think the church, when we're in the church, we can see that. And that's the voice that needs to come out. How do we, in our very different existences, come together in a place, learn together, talk together, trust one another, be vulnerable to one another, and even when we don't agree, go out and do the absolute best work in the name of God that we can possibly figure out. Um, to do that, um, and when you can see that, it is such a beautiful thing. And when it's communicated well, I think that can be, I think that can be heaven on earth, man. I think that's, that's the will of God done here. Jason, looking over your life, where has God really communicated with you? Really spoken to you and you heard or saw? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is my, this is my commercial, I guess, for Memphis Theological Seminary. That place, man, TJ. That place is, is holy ground to me. Uh, back row, F201, uh, left side, second chair from left, left uh, aisle, second chair from the right. I was struck by God to the point that my entire existence flipped over in about 10 seconds. Mm. Um, I, I am not always a big, you have to have a salvation moment guy. That's not that's not my theology. Uh, it's great. I, I, those people who have those stories are amazing. And I thank God now that I do have one of those stories, but I think people can come to the faith in many different ways. I thought I was a Christian. I was in seminary, brother. I had, I was in my second, third semester of seminary because I did a summer class too. Um, and, and I was struck down. I, I, I saw where my entire existence had been tied up and I didn't know, know what to call it then, but identities that uh, were not as Christian as I thought they were. And, uh, and I recognized very quickly that uh, in a very real sense, because some of the things that I had supported and believed that I was a murderer now, and I had to come to grips with that really quick, or I was going to break down in a back row of a master's class. <laughs> so I didn't do that, but I, but it, but I promised God in that moment, these are the words sure is the world these are the words um i promised god in that moment that i might be a whole lot of things in my life but i wasn't gonna be that anymore and and in that moment uh, i thank god for allowing me to um start seeing things that that i just had seen wrong man and uh, and i, I don't want to go those and those here because that's a wholly different conversation but 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 to know that that the spirit can work in that sort of way that can flip your life upside down quicker than, than, than you can possibly understand. Uh, and I thank God for allowing me to be vulnerable in that. Cause you know, you can block those things away. And uh, for whatever reason uh, I was blessed with it. So that moment that I, it, that is my, that's it, man. That's, that's when I, when people ask, when were you saved? I can tell them. How has that, uh, how has that transformed you? moving from that classroom that day, that year? Um, I became much more um, uh, cognizant 
of my, how do I say these things? Much more cognizant of, of how just because I think something is going to be right doesn't mean it's right. Now, that's a problem when I get on the soapbox because I still think I'm right. <laughs> um, but it has brought a, a great humility in, okay, I need to make sure that I always recognize that some of the things that I think right now are wrong. That, that has to, I have to recognize that that is the case. You know, if we believe in, in, call it whatever you want to, brokenness, if, you, if we believe in original sin, if, you know, whatever that way you want to describe it, if that's a thing, then some of the things I'm thinking right now are absolutely incorrect. And it's probably the things that I think I'm right on. It's not the things I'm doing wrong that um, I'm like, I know it's wrong, but I'm sneaking in anyway. It's not that. It's the things that I'm probably pretty passionate about. So I'm always trying now to remember that. I try to teach that. I think humility in, uh, in our understanding, but boldness in what we believe um, is, is pretty important. So that's one of the ways it's, it's changed. And one of the other ways it's changed, it's, 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 called, it's called me understand that, man, look in the Bible, dude. Jesus sided with the least of these and yelled at everybody who didn't like them. Hmm. Where does that's, that <laughs> It's just what? as easy as, and that's as simple as the gospel is, man. He yelled at every, he yelled at the people who didn't like the least of these, and went and ate with the least of these. So, where does that humility well from? Where does that come from? Being wrong, <laughs> being just really, dude. You have to understand the 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 level at which I I I rooted. Like I cheered with popcorn and Coke, the deaths of enemies, man. Like I sat in front, literally, I'm not, I'm not, this is not an analogy. I pulled up a chair in front of a television set and rooted for the deaths of my enemies with popcorn and a drink. And, and when you're reminded of that in the moment when you're being taught some very different ideas in the world and you look back and you realize how right you felt you were in some things and then how wrong you became. Now, don't tell my wife I'm humble. Don't tell my kids. You know, they don't tell anybody I'm in an argument with. They're going to tell you I'm not. But I think it's really those those moments theologically really changed how I saw the faith. Um, we, we're imperfect in, we, in how we do it. I'm not trying to get on a high horse about mystery humility over here because it's not true. But I do have humility and I'm, I'm, I really need to process that notion that most of the things I'm very passionate about, I need to keep in check always because I might not have the whole story. Let me ask you a theological question then. What do you do with the guilt? Do you feel guilt for sitting in a chair, popcorn, soda, and cheering for the death of your enemies? And, and you're not speaking yeah. metaphorically, you're speaking literally. Literally. Yeah, I jumped up when I saw. I jumped up when I saw things on television that, in retrospect, that a grandma was holding her grandbaby. You know, uh, it, that's my retrospective understanding, and that's not anybody else's understanding. That is me recognizing my own fault in that moment. Right? I, I ain't trying to place anything on this. I'm recognizing what I felt. And what I felt and what I believed in that moment was not correct. Now, what do I do with the guilt? One of the things that I thank God for 
is that um, I have not, we are not to be held by those decisions that, that we make. Even when we didn't know we were making decisions. The, the beauty of the faith is that so many times, Zacchaeus, whoever you want to talk about, come on over, man. Come on. You see it right now. You're going to give back even three times or whatever it was. I don't, I don't know the Bible well enough. I've proven that. You're going to give that much more back than you should have. Man, awesome. Congratulations. Come on. We having dinner. Let's, you know, there's that invitation into the community, even as, you know, I know, I know the depth of my own difficulty and I'm still invited in. And so in that, one of my big things is how do we not hold that over other people? A, the least of these, because we're always holding that over their heads, right? But also even my enemy, what, why, how do I not demonize my enemy to the point where I get there? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been, you know, that's, that's hard, but that's, that's part of the faith, I guess. I asked that question because I don't remember the question. This is how we've gotten. Oh, we were, I was asking about guilt I, and I asked the yeah. question because uh, we all as human beings can carry that and turn mm-hmm. and, and it can be a great burden. And I was interested in your response because yours is not isolated in terms of the guilt uh, as a Christian or, or as a human being and was wondering where is the repentance? Where is the the acceptance of forgiveness? Where is that assurance and that trust and that assurance? So I was interested in in your answer. And do you want to elaborate more? Yeah, I think one of the things too. I think that is is we've got to stop preaching the guilt and the. Sh- that's not true. We got to quit preaching the shame. We, for whatever reason, we could talk about a thousand cultural reasons for this. I'm sure. But we place have placed for generations such shame on especially particular guilts, the ones we don't like or the ones that for offend us for whatever reason. Hey, ex-smoker, I'm an ex-smoker, dude. We're the worst. Don't smoke around me. I just it smells horrible, go away. I will, you know, that we're the worst. Whatever it is, you know. And so we're always focusing on particular sins that we don't like for whatever reason. And we've laid such shame on a on a broad basis from the church, that part of this, how do we get past it, begins in the church. Uh, When when so-and-so comes in that you don't like for whatever reason, I've used single moms before, but we could use corporate greed just as easy. Whatever, man. How do we sit down in a church service um, and not share shame, but share the good news? And I think that that's one of my missions and all this is I don't ever want to, I place shame. That can't be a part of it. Now we can talk about how we are judged. I got no problem with that. I was judged in that moment, but the judgment came from not, oh, look at you're horrible too. Look what you can be. Look what is not that man. Look what, look what beauty comes from not being that. And that allowed for the repentance. If all I'm told is how horrible I am and now you can come in this new way, that that's horrific. If you, if you can say, if, if you can say to somebody, man, I get why you were there. I understand why you were there. 
but I got this other thing that I want to show you that removes that layer of shame that we have laid so thick on for generations. As somebody who has had a transformative experience, not in a church setting or not mm. specifically in a sanctuary mm -hmm. or a worship service, how would you help somebody, Jason, who has guilt of choices made in the past, uh, mistakes, who isn't ready to walk into a church facility, a sanctuary <laughs> for worship? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a courageous well, first, act. First is I'll, I'll, I'll argue that we had church in some of those classrooms. Like I'd never had church before. So, uh, you know, there was some church service going on in, in, in <laughs> F201 in other classrooms, but I hear your point. Um, I think that, um, let me collect my thoughts for one second on this. I think what we have what we have to do is allow people to recognize that the shame that they feel, the guilt that they feel is placed upon them. If we look back at, at the scriptures, when Jesus was forgiving people's sins, he wasn't telling them that I can read from it. I, I don't see in those statements that those were people specifically who were doing horrible things. And that's the, why they were invalid. That's why they had a deformed arm. That's why they couldn't what, see or hear or whatever. What I read from it is that people were calling them those things because who they were. It never said that guy had robbed a bunch of stores. And so his arm went bad. What it said was his arm went bad. And as a result of that, he didn't have much and people were saying, Ooh, look, that's a bad guy. Right. And so Jesus comes in and go, don't worry about it. Go and sin no more, man. You are forgiven of that. You are relieved of that. You don't have to listen to them call you that anymore. That's not part of your existence. Part of your existence now is being a part of this thing. Now we do things different over here. We love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. We pray and feed our enemies. We do all this crazy stuff. So there is some things you got to be as part of this, right? But recognize what they said about you doesn't matter. And what your creator said about you is actually what matters, which is that you are a child of God. Talking in it like that and relieving people of the cultural, the theological, the religious guilt that has been laid upon them and giving them a new vision of the church and allowing Jesus to become that redeemer, that savior, that not where you say a little prayer and ta-da, everything as well, but that you were convicted about this way. That's what he called it. To me, that's how, that's how we relieve people of the, the shame that allows them to worship a creator that has, has made this, man. I'm looking outside right now. What a gorgeous day. God made this. Let's enjoy it, you know? Jason, where are the places and the times where you have received God's forgiveness? Hmm. That moment. Yeah, that moment. With, um, with a family who, uh, man, your family knows your stuff, you know? You, you, your family knows your stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I have a, 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 a mother and a grandmother and a wife and children that um, 
God, they're rocks for me. You're like, you know, what wife lets you preach full time, number one, and then go to PhD, get a PhD two thirds time. Who, which, what wife lets you do that? Cause you know, I don't do anything else. Like I can barely put a pizza in the oven now. Right. So, <laughs> so my family has given me that, that strength, that forgiveness of, or that recognition, not, not even forgiveness. They've, they've not, uh, they've not allowed me to exist in um, identities of, that, that, you know, that would, could be placed on me otherwise for, you know, dumb stuff I've done. They've, you know, my mom listens to my sermons because she listens to my sermons, you know, it's, <laughs> it's um, that's been, that's, that's been amazing. Um, and then I have a, a wonderful time preparing um, sermons and Bible studies. I just get the biggest kick out of that and feeling that passion and that all of that, you feel those good emotions, those other ones shrink away. Yeah. Uh, and as I'm looking for the beauty of, of, of creation and scripture, when I'm looking at the beauty, of, when I'm serving in creation, when I'm doing a burrito ministry, we'll talk about that. I'm sure uh, we're doing that sort of stuff that takes those other things away. Cause you can't feel them when you're experiencing the goodness. Looking in the world that we are in today, uh, where do you see God's presence? Where do you see God working in your life, in this creation? Uh, in my life, in, in, in my ministry, um, you know, we can talk about several things. I can, I could probably be very sentimental and bring him up some other areas too, I guess. But in, in my ministry, I feel God working when I, you know, when I have somebody come in, I'm sitting in my study right now in the church. And when somebody comes in and, and we laugh and we talk and we do something good for the church and good to do something good for the creation or, or whatever it is, or we tell a funny joke, whatever, man, whatever happens in this place, just, I see, I feel the goodness of the, the Christian community. And that's just a blast. Like anytime I can find a place where we do it, like Jesus calls us to do it and it works. That's just, that's gold brother. And so I find it, I find that, not all the time, obviously, sometimes you're, you know, angry or whatever your emotion are, but I find that in ministry is, um, I can see the truth of what God told us is the promise. Like, you know, turning the other cheek that, 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 uh, it's not a passive thing, by the way, look it up. It's very nonviolent stuff. Um, doing those things of Christ as we're called to do them that don't look like they should work. And then they work what's better than that? What, what's better than going to feed somebody who doesn't have food? And just like the sheep and the goat said, Jesus Christ shows up in that person to teach you something. Like what, what is better than that, TJ? Right. And so I see that in my ministry. I see that when other people do it. And I recognize that the community of faith is absolutely the coolest thing in the whole wide world. And if we do it right, it is, it is heaven on earth, man. Jason, with half of you in the academic world and the other mm -hmm. half of you in the practice of ministry, what ideas do you have for the church? Oh, none. Like, I'm not sure what I need to do tomorrow. I, I, we, you and I have talked. I'm such a train wreck with these things. Um, I think, well, okay, that's not true. 
the pruning that's happening of the church right now, and we can call it the world all we want to, but every time the church has been pruned, theologically, we've said, hey, maybe God's involved in this, <laughs> you know? Um, well, we have identified, uh, what's that? Elaborate more on pruning. Yes, well, you, you know, you look in 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 some of the uh, the stories of Scripture. You can look in the Old Testament, New Testament, both. This idea that when the church that the church becomes too attached, too involved, uh, that's not, and that's not the best way to say it. That that could be taken so wrong, but too, um, its identity has become too elaborate, too much, too attached to the things in the world. That, that pruning back that has happened to where we have less churches, man. We have less people in churches. Even the theology has been pruned back in some ways. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's, as that happens, it allows for a re-investment uh, in what our identity is. If we've attached our identity too much to nation, too much to political movements, both sides of that, right? There's a lot of people that, that claim their politics from, and uh, in, in very, or claim their religion from their politics, rather. Um, in these experiences where we've attached to business mind things, whatever we've attached it to, as we detach those things, we can go, okay, but yeah, what's Jesus say about it? Like when we go, when we, we take our, tendrils away from our attachments to what it's supposed to be to be a Christian and be something else, then we can say, okay, what's just, what's Jesus have to say about it? And what we may find is that's very different than what we anticipated, which was my experience, you know? Um, so I think, I think us, if we want to use those academic terms, recognizing how we create our identities, what we base those identities on, how those have been communicated to us throughout history. Let's look at the church and say, why do we believe what we believe? Is it because we can find scriptural basis for some of these things that we're talking about? Or is it because we have some cultural conversations that are existing at the same time that we need to filter out so we can go back to, okay, what is the core of the message? Jesus said the entire law is this, love, value, care, appreciate everybody else as much as you care about yourself because you love me that much, right? And, and as we prune away from all these other attachments, what I hope we find out is what radical kind of statement that is supposed to be. We take it as so precious and it is such a radical, ridiculous statement, just so nuts, but we can't identify with that if we're identifying with our world. I think that's one of the things that we can recognize, but we have to get serious about the discussion of why do we believe what we believe? And I think we gloss over that pretty substantially. I know I have. Jason, I have appreciated our time together. Um, yeah, me too. How can folks continue to follow you on your faith journey? Yeah. So you got to know about the burrito ministry to do that. Right. Um, we can find a Facebook page for that it's Nashville burrito ministry. I come in a line of Cumberland Presbyterians who decided to make burritos because it's kind of fun to hand them out. Um, I've only had one incident where we threw a burrito at somebody and that wasn't <laughs> me. That was someone else. We'll talk for a minute um, about what that is in case. Yeah, sure. Doesn't know. 
No, of course. We um, not not the throwing the burrito, but what yeah, that, burrito ministry? Nobody's is. in that story. <laughs> uh, Leo Chang, uh, who was at the seminary uh, and kind of introduced many of us at the seminary to homeless ministry, was in I believe Albuquerque, New Mexico, 10, 12 years ago, and met a woman who at home made burritos, took them in her car, went out to a place where the homeless collect. Um, I like words other than homeless, but that's their common verbiage. Um, and she handed them out. And Leo's like, that's pretty cool. So he went, I think, back to uh, Barry Anderson and some folks over there. I think uh, uh, Pete was involved. Maybe Pete Gacky was involved at some point, at least with Manor House. And Leo was part of that, too. Um, but but Leo went to, to uh, Iona and they started making burritos out of seminary. And I went for a couple of times when I first went to seminary and I was like, this is pretty interesting. So uh, I saw the manner in which they did this, where it was very much about sharing grace and sharing relationship and sharing respect. People get called a lot of things in this world and to call somebody by their name is really, really cool. So I saw Leo and everybody doing that. And then there was a, um, a church in Nashville uh, that decided to put a homeless camp on their property, which like in their side yard, they have tents and the local landowner was upset. You can find stories of this in Nashville 10 years ago. And, uh, and so I'm nosy and have no pride. So I just kind of drove by the camp one day to see what was going on. God, a guy named um, Roger showed me around and uh, the camp, there was like 25 people living in tents and stuff. And so I, uh, I asked him, I was like, well, what can I, literally exasperatingly, like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what can I do? And he said, well, we're hungry. I was like, oh, dude, I can make burritos. So I went to the church I was in. I was a youth pastor at Cloyd's, uh, Cumberland Presbyterian over in um, uh, Mount Juliet. And one of the women in the church, uh, she's just hysterical. Uh, her husband was the accountant. He knew where every nickel was, but she just pulled two wads of bills out of her pockets and was like, here, and it was 40 bucks. And somebody else gave me $10 and we took the youth group, me and my wife and Holly Venom and, and our youth groups and thought we would serve burritos for a couple of weeks and doggone it if people hadn't kept giving us money for about 10 and a half years now. <laughs> so every week we make, nowadays we make about 130 burritos, a bunch of sandwiches, of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that a lot of women in this community make. Um, and some desserts that another group uh, brings us, uh, and Second Harvest Food Bank helps us out, and and we uh, we go out on the streets in Nashville and hand out about uh, hand out those burritos and to camps, and then Tommy Clark and some others from the seminary ride bikes on the same nights, and they go to, to people in uh, individuals on the streets that we can't get to, so it's actually a really good marriage. Mm. And and our whole purpose is we want to provide food, yes, but we also want to provide community. Um, respect. Uh, we believe it is an analogy. Everybody's going to be hungry in like four hours, but this is a statement that we can make about who we side with. Uh, and so um, we've developed relationships out of it and I found Jesus in it and, um, and tried to share, you know, what I see as the community of faith. And it's just been the greatest journey ever. If someone listening wanted to get involved, how could they do that? Uh, yeah, so make sure you go to the Facebook page and, and you'll see some of the things we're doing. Um, we, uh, we love money. Money makes burritos. And so anytime somebody wants to send us money, we're like, hey, you have money and we have hands to make burritos. Mm -hmm. Send it over. So you can find links on that uh, or on our uh, the, the church's website. Uh, you can find it as well. Jenkins, um, Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Google that and you'll find us there. 
Uh, and so donate that way. But more, but, but, but more importantly, listen to the stories. Uh, we share what we see in, on the streets because I thought, I really thought, TJ, when we were going to go to the streets, that we we're going to take some Jesus out there with us and we we're going to show some poor people about how this wonderful Jesus way is. And when we tell them, boy, they're going to shape up and everything's going to be great for them and they're going to get a house and blah, blah, blah. And what we realized was the truth of Matthew 25. You go on the streets of Nashville or streets of anywhere and you serve people, you will find Jesus Christ left and right. Uh, and it's absolutely awesome. And, um, and you know, we can share what we have. And, and I am shared back all the time by, by uh, my friends who just are just the best people in the world, man. They just, um, they got dealt a really bad hand in life, a lot of them. And I'll just tell you front up, if I was in a situation they were in, sometimes I'll be an addict too. Hmm. You know, if that's what they most aren't, but I'm just saying when we think that that's of who they are, well, yeah, you would be too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so folks can find you, Jason, um, Nashville burrito ministry, Nashville burrito ministry on the web, and then find Jenkins Cumberland Presbyterian church. Um, yeah, you can find us there as well. And uh, you can find on Google or, I mean, you can Google us or on the web or uh, Facebook, or I think we're on Instagram. We're doing all kinds of stuff that I don't know anything about because I don't control that part. All right. Jason, <laughs> I appreciate your time. I appreciate your enthusiasm as we shared in this conversation. TJ, you're the bomb, man. Thanks for doing this. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, seeing how horrible, uh, how great you make me look. I'll sound horrible in the raw tape, but you'll make it sound <laughs> No, it will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, brother. You take care. And thanks for those who are listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with me on the next journey down Cumberland Road.